This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, lovely. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Do you remember your sex education? Was it helpful to you? Was it filled with scientific information rather than real, practical advice? I'm Diggory Waite, and this is The Real Sex Education. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest. We'll impart our own sex wisdom, ask our own sex questions, and we'll go over all the things they don't teach you in school. To bring this all together, though, we'll need an expert. A sexpert, if you will. But the only sex and relationship therapist I know is my mum. Hello, mum. Hello, Diggs. In this episode, we speak to Nathaniel Cole about his work in schools with young men and boys. I always describe that as having the slightly more awkward conversations, so parents and teachers don't have to. Why it's important to talk to them about masculinity early on. Men do violence to themselves, to other men and to women. So, like, if we don't deal with that, then we're never going to change anything. And he gives his advice to parents. There needs to be an element of understanding that, you know, your child's your child, but they're going to be their own person, and they're not like a (laughs) mini-me. Hello and welcome to The Real Sex Education. I'm Digby Waite and as ever I'm joined by accredited sex and relationship therapist Kate Campbell. Hello mum. Hello Diggs. Mum, last week was an eventful one for the podcast, wasn't it? It was an eventful week for us. We were very busy. We went all the way to Australia. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Well that was a disaster though, wasn't it? Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that. I Obviously, doing Channel 4, Steph's Pack Lunch, we went to Leeds, we stayed over, we... Waltzed into the studio, did our piece. It was great. It was fine. The problem with doing Australian TV is obviously if they wanted to have us on the morning show, which they did, it's really early in the morning for us. And they did. They said 12.50 a.m. So we thought, yeah, we'll go for it. Well, we yeah, but we thought, oh, how are we going to stay awake? Uh, yeah, what are we going to do? So we decided to go and see James Bond. As is our civic duty as two British slash English people. It was proper good. Yeah, it was very good. Very good. And we were in the car on the way back chatting about... Consent. Consent. Did we talk about consent? Misogyny. Yeah. Yes, we did in in relation to James Bond. Yeah, we did. And the different role of women in the movie. We were very, yeah, we were across it all. Yeah, you're making me sound very good (laughs) and progressive here. Um, I obviously remember that conversation well and I was very switched on. But we were in the car on the way back and I turned my phone on because I'm a good boy who turns his phone off in the cinema. And we had a load of missed calls from Plus 61s, aka the Australian people, the Australian number. And they were like, where are you? You know, you're on in any minute. Ready to go. Because there'd been this mix up about the times. Anyway, we got in, didn't even have time to pee and we're on air as soon as we got through the door. It was crazy. So if you did catch us on Channel 9's Today Show Extra in Australia or Channel 4's Steph's Pack Lunch in the UK, hello, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Basically, this is a podcast where every Thursday, mum and a guest talk about something to do with sex, and I sit here all sheepish and awkward. And it's back to that business today, as we're here to talk about masculinity. Mum, why is it so important to talk to men, and particularly young men, about their masculinity? Well, it's very confusing to know what masculinity is. There isn't really a good 
explanation of what masculinity is. I mean, boys and young men don't know how to be masculine. And it's harder now than it's ever been because the direction isn't there. Some of the direction that was there was along the lines of don't do things like don't be weedy, you know, don't be gay. What does that mean? What does what does weedy mean? So be, oh, oh, like thin and... Be, and yeah, be tough, yeah. be strong, don't show emotions, don't say you're ill, don't go to the doctors, don't eat quiche, you know, lots of don'ts. Um, all those sorts of, <laughs> sort of negative things, really. Um, so when you start to look at positive things, it's harder. So there's a, an awful lot of confusing discourse out there. So I, so I think we're seeing, certainly in my work, I'm seeing more people who are a bit confused and not really thinking about about it because if you stop and think you you don't consider your gender and your and the way you do your sex unless you have a reason to so i guess if you were gay or pansexual or trans or something like that you would think about those things but cisgender heteronormative people yeah yeah Absolutely. Don't think about it because because they kind of think, well, you know, it just is. And again, uh, are fed by discourses which might not be helpful and might not really be particularly relevant to them, but seem to be what one might call normal. So people will come, you know, for therapy and things saying, well, I just want to be normal. And when you hear what they think is normal, it's really unhelpful. It's not very normal. What you know, it, it wouldn't be helpful to people. You wouldn't want what they're saying to be normal. And what they think is normal is inherently making them unhappy because yeah. it's not what they want or yeah. or who they yeah. are. And I mean, you know, a, a good example of that is, um, you know, real men are always ready for sex, and um, <laughs> I'm mm. doing a silly voice, but oh, they're <laughs> always ready for sex, and they're just they're just going for it. So you might get somebody who thinks it's expected because uh, otherwise. How do you how do you do it? You know how how do you show that you're a man? How do you show that you're sufficiently different from your partner? If you think that's expected of you, masculinity is so complicated. There's loads of different kinds of masculinity, and we went through the '90s with metrosexual men challenging some of the traditional ideas about masculinity. And we've got at the moment we've got incels who kind of are very try to be very masculine, but but don't like masculine men mm. or women who like masculine men. So they, they want to be masculine, but they don't like masculinity. I mean, it's really complicated. So there's so much going on with it. So our guest today really, really wants to get to people early so that he can give them alternatives, allow them to be curious, allow them to ask questions about what it means to be a man and a woman and what relationships should be like. And it's just such an important thing to do. So important. Mm, yeah. And getting in there early to talk about these things before they become entrenched, like these ways of viewing masculinity, dig themselves too deep. Like, I think it's an interesting place right now, because I think a lot of men feel unfairly attacked when they hear about things like this, like toxic masculinity, the Me Too movement and the rise of families and stuff like that. They're defensive because they feel like they're being criticised for something they didn't do or haven't done yet. Like... It, because it feels like an attack on all men, mm. which is why you hear people say, not all men, or hashtag not all men. But unfortunately, it is a lot. Sarah Everard and Sabina Nessa are just two recent examples of mm. violence against women committed by men. And there's guys out there who will be like, oh, well, yeah, but they're just nutters who killed them. Like, I don't know any people who would do that, and I certainly wouldn't do that myself. But mm. I promise you, you ask any woman that you know if they've been sexually harassed in some way, shape, or form, like felt up in a club or a bar or sexually assaulted, catcalled. Mm. I bet every every single woman listening right now to this is now thinking about their time where that happened. Every Mm. single one. And the sooner men know that, the better. There was a great video put out by the Scottish police 
I think last week, and it's men looking in the mirror and sort of seeing their own reflection and how their small little actions sort of build up to create a sort of misogynistic society where things like sexual assault and violence against women can take place. And basically, I, I think it addresses a good point where when men are shown the mirror and the issue is staring them back in the face, that's scary to admit. And it's hard. And I think, again, it's one of those masculine things to be like, well, no, you can't be wrong. You need to stand your ground and you need to fight. So that's why, again, when men are being called out by feminist movements, by Me Too and stuff, they're like, no, I'm going to stand, I'm going to fight. And the more they do that, the more they double down and the harder it is to pull themselves back out of that lifestyle, which is why it is so important to talk to them about masculinity early. So let's speak to a writer, researcher and workshop facilitator who does exactly that. Nathaniel Cole, thank you so much for coming on. Oh no, thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to be here and and have a chat. Can you tell us and maybe some of the people listening a bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so my workshops, my writing, my speaking is all kind of grounded in a few things. So with young people, that work looks like looking at masculinity with young boys, essentially talking to them about what they think their role is under masculinity and as boys and Mm. as young men. And then I do work with School of Sex Ed to deliver workshops on sex education. So I always describe that as having the slightly more awkward conversations with young people so parents and teachers don't have to (laughs) and then I work with a program called Smiling Boys so we do an eight-week like emotional well-being program taking boys that are at risk of social exclusion or permanent exclusion from school to build more emotional well-being into their lives so they can develop soft skills to navigate school and personal life better and then my time in the water is I'm the co-founder of Swim Dem Crew. So we are a community swim club, a social swim club. So we teach people how to swim. We do a bit of coaching and we do social swims. So we'll travel around, swim, do some wild swims. Basically, we just bring community to the water so the pool isn't as um, isolating as it can be. Mm. You're a fan of wild swimming, aren't you, Dicks? Well, I, was, I was just about to say this. I was like, mum is sweating right now. Because ev- whenever I go anywhere, mum's like, you're not going to do any wild swimming, are you? Like, if you do any wild swimming, I'll, I'll lose my mind. Um, but we wanted to focus today more on your work with young men in schools and focusing on masculinity and sex education stuff. Mm-hmm. And can you set the scene, you know, do some world building of what a typical boy that you see? What kind of life are they living at the moment? What's school like? What maybe is home life like? What are these? What is a typical life like for one of these boys um for the young people i work with school is their life so Mm. they don't know Mm. much outside of that and beyond their friends from school so in terms of like world building they are playing games they have this weird relationship with tiktok at the moment of feeling like like they're supposed to be on it but with tiktok if you're not just a passive user and just scrolling you're you're supposed to do stuff right you're supposed to kind of present Mm. to the screen and there's this kind of friction of them thinking they're supposed to just be involved with it whereas stuff like snapchat Mm. is a bit more um I guess, passive as well. And then there's a whole conversation about their peers. Um, What I find really interesting is that if if I go to a boys' school or a mixed-gender school, the attitudes about girls Mm. and women is the same, which I thought Mm. would be different because they obviously have girls that are friends, but it doesn't mean they hang around together. And so your workshops, what are the sorts of things that come up? How do they start? What do you take them through? What goes on? You know, we try to establish the the general vibe of the room. So each workshop 
for me is going to be different because mm. it depends on who's in the room. Mm. So as much as I want to take them on a journey exploring masculinity and I guess deconstructing it, not every classroom is going to be able to do that. They might just need to talk mm. about stereotypes and what enforces those, like in terms of stereotypes about men, stereotypes about women, and then have a chat about where they come from, as opposed to me trying to say, oh, you know, you're in charge of how you're socialized amongst each other. So, you know, first off, we just try to establish where people are at. We do some word association games to see what they think of women and what they think of men. And mm. more recently, something that came across was young boys and, and men have it. They understand that they are men. Mm. So if they're describing men, they're kind of just describing men, tall, short, big, strong, little, like all these different words. It's just kind of thinking for themselves and what else they see. But then when it comes to describing women, it's either... And some do mention things like friend, mum, other than mum and mum, auntie, like you don't really get any other words. You know, mostly it just goes, it gets quite sexual. Mm. And, you know, we do this with boys that are between year in year eight. So, you know, about 13 all the way up to 18. So, you know, so they're in their teens. And it always goes quite sexual or about tasks like, you know, cleaning, cooking and things like that. So then we use that to say, well, why did we write down muscles for men and what's your relationship between like man and muscles or like women mm. and, and bumps <laughs> like mm. where do these things come from because you don't you didn't describe the guys in such a sexual way you didn't mention any tasks outside of sport like the cooking and cleaning that you did for women so we just talk about like what we think informs that you know where they heard it and then sometimes kids will start quoting talk about statistics of who does the most work and, and stuff like that and what they think work is Mm. so yeah we just try and get to the root of like where these things come from and give them the opportunity to speak so i can tell them all like the quote-unquote answers but that's me doing them a, a disservice so i have to mm. try my best to to let them lead a discussion and i can just like point them in certain directions along the way and at this age their relationship to women is is interesting i mean things like porn mm -hmm. and things like nudes I mean, because both of those, when you were talking before about the social media and stuff, that I know. I mean, mm. I mean, I was at school 10 years ago, and I know that both those things were huge. How do you guys navigate that? And what's going on at the moment with, with those two things? What, how are they affecting men in a good or bad way? I'm kind of so glad I missed that at school, like yeah. the, the way phones and, and media works. Mm. Um, I think I was one of the last sets of kids to miss out on that. Um I would imagine that as long as porn's been around, kids have found a way to see it. Mm. And it's the same now. It's probably just a little bit more accessible. It's a little bit more graphic too. I mean, it's re really quite shocking. The, the variety is... is <laughs> I think there's such a... Yeah. Like, because it's more accessible, you can do so much more with it in terms of what you can see, like the scope mm. of porn, like you said, like being more more graphic, mm. more violent, more, more racialized. Mm. I very rarely come into a classroom and think any of them haven't seen pornography. Mm. doesn't mean they're all comfortable with it, but most of the times, like nine times out of ten, most kids in the class I've either seen or actively watching some porn. So they know it's not real. So they know it's, like, fake, but they don't necessarily separate that from the performance in porn. So while they know porn isn't real and that's not how sex necessarily mm. works and relationships work, that's still the only example of, of how sex looks is shown to them. Mm. So we try and have conversations more so when I'm working with School of Sex Ed about the things you see in porn 
that's like that's porn sex <laughs> as mm. opposed to mm. to sex that you have with someone that that you like or that you meet and, and you're interested in so we try and like give them better foundations to build relationships of like um conception or communication and and actually saying how you genuinely feel so i think with porn comes a desensitization to the emotional connections we make with people so now it's great that they know it's not real because before people think porn real so i go do porn um I, or i go do mm. porn sex so that, that they know it's not real but it doesn't mean they they've got any other grasp on on how to navigate those like i guess physical urges mm. and then with things like nudes and snapchats and stuff i took part in research about nudes so we would go around doing workshops and and talking to to young people about sending nudes why they do it why they want them and one thing that did come up was this feeling of trying to collect stuff like trying to collect it is like a, a badge of honor almost like mm. the research was specifically looking at unsolicited pictures and you know one thing that was kind of common was, was boys feeling like they could only send their dick or if they had abs they could send their abs or something but they were like girls yeah. can send so much more stuff like there's so many parts of their body that they can send us by comparison so yeah we just have to like send a dick pic because that's all we've got and there's this really weird thing about like currency of of this exchange mm. plus also wanting to get a nude from someone or you know like a revealing snap and it immediately devaluing them once it's sent. Mm. So it's like, I'm interested in you, I want this, I want this, and then getting it and being like, all right, cool, bye. You're you're obviously like not the kind of girl I actually want to be with because you're Mm. sending these pictures. So there's like a transaction to it, but also Mm. what I just got from it and and talking to kids about it is that there's a lack of communication or, or ways to communicate to say the more genuine stuff like, oh, I'm interested in you, I like you, I would like to hang out and stuff like that so it goes down like this route of nudes because that's a way to show that they're interested in each other when really there's plenty of other ways to do that but it's just manifesting currently as sending nudes and giving and receiving and you know we talk to them about the law around getting pictures and stuff but you know i think what's more helpful is just getting them to understand why they want to get nudes and why they want to send them and if that feeling can be explored in in other ways I think that's really important because later on it translates into an entitlement to sexual behaviour mm-hmm. as well. And you see that now. It's so it's so common in sort of people in their 30s. So mm-hmm. this has been going on for quite a while. I mean, it's always mm-hmm. been common for people to feel sexually entitled, but it's ridiculous at the moment. I mean, there is this expectation that women will be like the women in the porn, you know, and feeling that, you know, she's she's not excited enough. Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't you more excited? And they're talking to somebody who's who's really inexperienced and, and scared probably and the and the guys not understanding at all so that that piece about communication is so important do you think some adults need some education as well do you think it do do you think i mean this is the ideal you know talking about it with your parents do you Mm. do you think parents are good at talking to their kids about important things Uh, like this there's a good like email newsletter called outspoken ed to create resources for parents to have those conversations but you know do you know i didn't have a conversation with my my mum and I think my dad mentioned it once then we just like kept on driving the car <laughs> um <laughs> because I get it, it's this for, probably for parents there's also this this moment of oh my my child's always going to be my child but they're not a child 
an actual child anymore Mm. and that can be uncomfortable and sad and a bunch of things so I think there's this line with parents of if you want to give your kids the information but maybe there's an element of not necessarily wanting them to do it um Mm. people talk about that taking away innocence and and all that sort of stuff but you know if I'm like if I work with kids that are 13 and I know that all of them are watching porn like eventually all these kids are maybe going to be engaged Mm. in in the sexual activities Mm. like one day So I think parents do need to come to terms with where they're at on conversations like that because they've also got to think about what has my child seen me do and like in terms of what what relationship have I modelled for them or how do I communicate with them because all of that will be reflected in the relationships that the child eventually gets into because they're going to kind of mirror stuff. Exactly. Wow. There's there's definitely a thing at the moment where parents don't like their children to see any kind of conflict and while I'm not advocating (laughs) arguing and throwing (laughs) things and stuff like that you you know if if you don't see a process if you don't see how conflict is resolved then you you just don't know and Mm. so there are people absolutely terrified of conflict because the only time they've seen it has been really extreme mm. between their parents. So they they, they just avoid it or it's normalised because there's so much of it yeah. that it's fine. I think so many people are not aware of what they're portraying and how they're modelling how to be in a relationship and then just say, no, you can't have your girlfriend to stay or mm. no, you know, you shouldn't be having sex. And it, mm. most of the people have that conversation way too late. Yeah. So, And I think there's... Um... It's way too late because it's at that point of, oh, you can't have someone stay around and you can't be doing these things. But it's like, well, they want to and they're, you know, they're going to find a way. So it's either going to be at home with like, you know, for lack of a better word, your blessing and safety than somewhere else that's like maybe a lot less safe for them. Um, I think with with parenting, there needs to be an element of understanding that, you know, your child's your child but they're going to be their own person and they're not like a mini me and that can be hard and you know that might be reflected in the way they express themselves whether that be through masculinity femininity or their romantic and and sexual relationships like Mm. so yeah I think parents need to kind of look at themselves first before they start having the conversations with their kids Mm. it's less about telling children what to do because if you tell them what to do and what not to do they're just gonna do the opposite um yeah (laughs) yeah more just trying to establish where where the child where you're at with it as an adult and where the child's at with it and and then going from there like what do you think sex is and are you you know are you watching porn is so evasive i don't know what i'd do if my mum asked me that (laughs) but maybe if we built went off that assumption because you know if i'm like a lot of kids are then chances are our own teams are do too we've had a lot of talks about this and i feel like it's never maybe we've mentioned it before but it's never hit me properly where you're like the way that i portray myself and i treat this will be reflected in you I, i've never thought about it like that because we have talked before about what happens when sex may be in, in for children and your kids may never you never maybe have actively said you know it's bad or shameful or whatever but when you guys are watching TV together and a sex scene comes on, you start shifting in your chair and maybe even, you know, mum covers your, your eyes or whatever. That sort of thing, that that does like yeah. that does bleed through and that starts suggesting that this is a shameful thing. If you can't talk about it with us, mm. we don't want to talk about it. We don't, you know, that doesn't open that like healthy dialogue. But then again, what do you do when a sex scene comes on with your parents? As a parent, what do you do? Like, how yeah, do you... I, I think everyone's got those memories of being younger and and the scene comes on and like it either gets muted or the channel changes for like yeah. a couple of minutes and mm. they come back to it. 
And that's just avoidance because, like, we both know, you know, one thing I always say is, like, oh, you know, most of the time for the kids, I'm like, you know, someone had sex to bring you here, you know, into the world mm-hmm. or, or at least wanted to. So that's at least one time where how you can talk about it with creation and stuff. But making it a taboo makes it, one, more interested and two, like you said, degree, like, shameful. So, like, how can we mm. remove that part of it? And- well, do you remember when we watched Normal People together? I do. I do. <laughs> I do remember that. That was intense. But <laughs> do you know, I think I, I don't think, think we were. I mean, actually, it, I, I don't think we were because nah, we were talking right. we, at all. Because we were just yeah. talking about, oh, isn't this great for consent? And isn't this? I mean, we were just we were good. commenting all the way through on how good it was. <laughs> yeah, but we're lame. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So why why is it that men and women feel so separate at the moment, do you think? I think it's about how we socialise people. So we tell boys like to go out, win, get what's yours. And, and there's not many rules for boys other than like representing your house or your household and your family well. And But with girls, it's like, don't do this, don't do that, you know, protect yourself and so on and so forth. And I had a call with some adults recently we were talking about what people wear and and staring so like i said if i'm a man i realize i'm staring at someone and i take a step back i realize there's probably like at least four other men watching someone as well mm. i say watch someone so if i'm if i'm looking at a woman i'm like oh they're attractive like if i take a step back i realize so many other people are doing the looking as well mm. and when i asked the men on the call to think about what it feels like to have eyes on you constantly then they went down, well, we shouldn't wear like this and, and that and the other. But equally, they had mm. they had teenage daughters. And yeah. and it was this fight of when, when they have daughters that eventually get to an age where they can be sexualized, they suddenly realize how so many other men are. And mm. they go to police daughter like, oh, if you control yourself, then, then the men around you have controlled themselves and stopped staring. But that's not true. So really, there needs to be a link of how do we as men engage with the fact that that we do this thing mm. as opposed to how can someone navigate harm so they like survive best and like it should be like well if we're the ones causing causing the harm and, and creating and sustaining that environment what can we do about it because you can give the best support you can to survivors or people that are going to experience harm which is you know obviously amazing for them but if you don't assess why harm's being caused in the first place, then not going to really change anything. Well, yeah, and I think you're going back again to the way 
children are treated and you know particularly if girls and boys aren't treated the same way Mm -hmm. you know the tremendous pressure on boys to not like quiche and to be i don't don't know not cry or whatever and girls to maintain the emotional temperature of relationships and to and to not be sexual and to be treated differently and not allowed to stay out late and things like that so when they kick back they're kicking back against their families as well Mm. which is really tough and i'm sure lots of adults don't realise the effect they're having. Yeah, so so when we go into schools, people are like, oh, what do you do? Is there like a similar thing for girls? And it's like, well, I can do a session talking about masculinity to to a group of of girls, but like the way boys move through the world is different to the way girls move through the world. So it's a a whole different approach. If I'm talking to boys about emotions and emotionality to try and prevent violence against one themselves and to the women and girls around them. Mm. But that's a different conversation to have with women and girls about how they exist and navigate that because... Like I talked about, one's about the people doing the harm, one's about the people being harmed. So that's two different approaches there. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can get some more organisations to to add to the... Not two-pronged attack, that's not the word I want to use, but like, <laughs> you know, you have one thing that will work for, for boys and men and, and one thing that will work for, for women and girls. Yeah. Like you say, then, then things that will work for them both. Because I remember I was outraged at school when the girls had to leave the room and then they learnt about tampons and stuff Mm. and we sat there and it's like stuff that i would have found really important to learn because even though it's obviously not anything i'm going to go through myself half people in my life are women and stuff they're going to go through Mm. and it's stuff that i want to empathize with and it's stuff that i want to help out with or know about you know that sort of thing and that would have really helped as well but just off the back of something you said before do you feel slightly as if you're fighting an uphill battle because of the way that society uh, and particularly this country, the way that we speak to men in general, but these things trickle down to young men. My example being recently, there's obviously been lots of um, rapes and killings of young women. And the messages still from uh, government and stuff are things like don't stay out late, mm. you know, and it's all messages again to, to women to be like, women, you guys need to stop putting yourself in these terrible situations. Do you feel like that sort of thing? Do you despair a little bit? Um, I don't know if I despair because I expect it from whether it's mainstream media or the government to not do you know what is required. Mm. So I think it's what well, I, t- I take hope from things like mass vigils, mass resistance to those sorts of things because it forces the spotlight to be changed. So if the spotlight's currently on women and girls staying out, like quote unquote, too late, mm. the protests and, and the vigils and the uproar then ask that spotlight to shift to who else is out late and why are mm. these things happening and at what point is society failing so this this continues to happen mm. as i said you can't just like if if we're just talking about not staying out late that's just not that doesn't change anything that doesn't change the fact that people are i say people like you know we're talking about men and violence like men do violence to themselves to other men and to women so like if we don't deal with that then we're never gonna change anything mm. it's frustrating but it's expected do i feel like it's an uphill battle Yes, just because the change required to make it a downhill one is very vast um, and people don't want to lose out on the privileges and, and pressures they have. Like there's some really funny comedians out there that like, you know, they, they'll reverse gender operations in for scenes, whether it's like a, a woman chatting up a guy and making a guy feel really uncomfortable mm. or there's a police interview. like, oh, interviewing someone that had a man that had their watch stolen and being like, oh, why were you wearing a, a like, short sleeve shirt? Is that why your watch was stolen? And all these, mm. all these kind of things. Yeah, and yeah. It's, 
just to like flip it on his head and when you like when you yeah. flip stuff on your head you really it, it becomes very clear like what the actual issues are i have to live with hope otherwise i get down in the dumps yeah um but yeah i think more stuff needs to be done to address the issues that we have with perpetrators of violence like nora samaran has a great article says the opposite of rape culture is nurturance culture so Mm. if rape culture uplifts and supports like violence against women and girls and, and anyone that could be sexually assaulted and abused that's because the people doing it haven't been given the tools to navigate on their emotions and to their communications and their feelings. So, you know, we were talking about how boys socialise and girls socialised and girls like having to have the emotional labour of a whole room or something like that. It's mm. about trying to readdress that balance. So nurturance culture would be, you know, men having other options outside of like football mm. <laughs> to share how they feel about things. Like normally the football pitch as, as United as it seems, it's just a bunch of guys shouting and either being really happy or really angry but then they get on the train afterwards and it's like you know dead behind the eyes again so mm. things like that is an example of, of them not having all the necessary environments to express themselves and then that mm. then trickles down into you know one thing that's that's accepted amongst men to do it is be violent so if violence is the only mm. way to show any emotion then that emotion most often is going to be anger and then that trickles down if, if we're in a society that supports and upholds that sexual violence and, and rape culture then you can see how the two things of people not knowing how to talk to each other but knowing that they can get angry and be violent how that then trickles down and filters through to that but if you had nurturance culture like built mm. on emotional connections and talking to one another and men being there for each other not just like their partners being there for them but men being there obviously heterosexual men um, being there for each other and taking away the shame from a lot of that stuff from take away shame from sharing emotions that the shame from the things on the patriarchy like shame from not having um, enough money or whatever it may be then maybe we can you know start to tackle the the reasons why men lash out and and brutalize people Mm -hmm. but like something else needs to be done because at the moment it's just it's just like trying to prop up this wall of violence that is always there and it always just every now and again it crumbles Mm -hmm. away like needs to do more than that well, it's astonishing how many people say that emotion was just not acceptable in their homes mm. and at school and amongst their friends. I mean, just no emotion. The only the single emo- emotion that was allowed was anger. Yeah. Mm. And that's just extraordinary. So when you say, well, if you weren't angry, what would you have been showing? And they say, well, I couldn't have shown that because it was vulnerability <laughs> or, mm. or, you know, or sadness or something. And, you know, can't do that. I'm a man. Can't do that. I'm a man. Yeah. Yeah. I watched somebody in the supermarket yesterday. There was a, a little boy in a trolley who was grizzling about something and his mother kept repeating, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And I, I know she was trying to reassure him, but I so wanted to say, just let him say what he's feeling. <laughs> just let him say it. Because if you keep telling him he's okay, he's going to doubt himself because at the moment he doesn't feel okay. So mm. you just acknowledge that, then say, are you okay? Fine, move on. But she wasn't, and she wasn't even looking him in the eye. And I, I was mm. learning. <laughs> on the back, <laughs> watching what was going on, mm. thinking, "Can I say anything?" Holding your cucumber, like <laughs> putting it in your bag angrily. <laughs> but Nathaniel, um, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you'd say to people listening who have young men or boys in their life? Uh, is there anything you'd say to them about how to speak to them about this stuff? I think we need to put a bit more trust into young people because they understand their lives better than we do 
So mm. trust in them being able to change what their normal is. Like I can't impose a new normal onto them. Um, all we can do is give them some different tools to analyze things and, and navigate stuff. But the way they live their lives is probably going to still always be, you know, within tech and, and all these things. So mm. trust them that if they had slightly different tools, then maybe they can navigate their normal in a healthier way, as opposed to getting them to just like, disconnect and and live how we want them to live because they deserve agency and and faith yeah nathaniel thank you so much for coming on (laughs) it's been an absolute pleasure i mean what a way to end thank (laughs) you so much thank you we really appreciate it thank you awesome it's the mailbag send katie queries to podcast.com it's the mailbag send katie queries podcast Thank you so much to Nathaniel Cole for speaking to us. We really appreciate him giving up his time. Mm-hmm. And if you want to find Nathaniel, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Nathaniel A. Cole or on his website, nathanielcole.co.uk. You'll find both those in the show notes along with our wider reading, listening and watching list, which contains more from Nathaniel like his fantastic TED Talk on discussing consent with young men and boys. Right, mum. It's that point of our show where we're going to open up our mailbag to see what questions we've received from our listeners for you. You can send in your questions to us via our Instagram at RealSexEdPod or on email podcasts at hattrick.com. Right, this first one is from Anonymous who says, I've been dating my boyfriend for almost a year now, but I still fantasize about sleeping with other people. People I see on the bus, on the street or on Instagram. I also fantasize about having sex with other people when I'm having sex with my boyfriend to help me orgasm. I'd never tell my boyfriend this and I wouldn't cheat on him, but I still feel guilty. Sounds really healthy, doesn't it? Having a nice, healthy fantasy life where you can sort of look at people and really appreciate them and, you know, enjoy that. So long as you're not harassing anybody and it stays inside your head, where's the problem? This is a thing. And this is why I thought this was an interesting question. Mm. We said on the podcast before, fantasies are great because they're in your head. You know, yeah, they're they're, they're fine because they're in the head. They're not hurting anyone else. Yeah. When they get when fantasies get bad, it's when they become plans and you're planning to do things and that's when it starts mm. to get scary. Or they are the fantasies involve sort of like harassing people or that you know, they're sort of half fancy, half real. You are actually doing half the stuff you're mm. thinking about. When they're just in their head, they're fine. And as this person says, uh, she she says, she's a woman, she says, I use fantasies to help myself orgasm. They're all in her head. I wouldn't tell my boyfriend, and I also wouldn't cheat on him thing is there will be people at home listening to this thinking what do you mean you fantasize about other people when you have sex with your boyfriend surely you surely you should feel guilty no because actually for some people thinking about your partner can actually be off-putting because sometimes people think of their partners as friends i mean that's not obviously that's really difficult because you do want to think of them as your your lover but sometimes you know the fantasy is maybe i don't know a bit raunchier than they actually are or they wouldn't really do those sorts of things so it's easier to imagine somebody else or maybe you feel as if you were doing those things with that person you'd be a bit slutty and you don't like the idea of them thinking of you that way I mean there's just so many I mean so people can often not be fully as sexual as they have the potential to be if they are seeing themselves as themselves because of the way they've been brought up because of their religion or culture or what they've been told and so 
if they imagine that there's somebody else with somebody else who is no threat to them, they don't know them, they're pretty much anonymous, they're just they're just hunky people, then they can become aroused. But if they if they try and make it too real, you know, they start thinking about, well, you know, he I, does he want a sandwich? You know, he's looking a bit picky. <laughs> yeah. you know, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so sometimes the f- fantasy stuff is what you need to, to become really aroused because otherwise real life actually interferes. And the other thing is if you're feeling really, really close to somebody, sometimes then you start to worry about getting it wrong or not, you know, are you doing the right moves and all of that kind of thing. If in your head it's somebody you don't know, it makes it much easier sometimes. But throughout the whole thing, you are with the person you care about. When you open your eyes, there they are. You're going to, you've, you've built up to this together. You're going to enjoy the afterglow together. Mm. Where's I the mean, harm? That's very true. But I think what's key about this is that you can't tell your boyfriend. Oh, no. And to be honest, I don't, you can't, you can only tell us and you can't even really tell your friends. I just, as we say, fancies if they're in your head that's fine they're not doing any evil to anyone else and you've said here you're not going to cheat on him like it's there's nothing going on there like it's just something you do i just think it's the kind of thing that you just have it's personal it's private isn't it anyway what you're fantasizing about is a hundred percent private why would you be telling anybody and you know and if you were a partner who wanted to get inside the other partner's head and say what are you thinking about i hope you're thinking about me a hundred percent of the time and you never stop then it all sounds a bit overkill a bit too much yeah and that that would be a bit scary all right this one is from ss on the instagram who says i'm 21 years old Since I was 14 years old, I've masturbated. I'm now feeling pain in my legs every morning. I have a weak digestive system, easily forget things, muscle cramps, occasional body tremors, early ejaculation, and I'm also worried that when I do marry, I won't be able to become a father. The way you read that, I thought you, you, he was saying he'd been masturbating constantly for seven years. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I literally, I've I been, mean, I'm 21 years old. Since I was 14 years old, <laughs> I've been masturbating ever since. I've been doing it so much that now I have pain in my legs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, if you have stopped occasionally, then I am surprised because, because masturbation doesn't cause any of those symptoms. So this sounds like somebody with a, a bit of health anxiety and probably a lack of information about sex and nobody to talk to about it, which is a bit sad. And it's probably the way a lot of people feel because a lot of people do worry that things like masturbation will ruin their bodies, will make them unfit for sex with a partner. But that's not true. There's no reason why masturbation should have any effect on your future. The only time it, there's, and even this is contentious, the, the only time it may be is if you're overzealous about porn and using a lot of porn and using images which are sort of super duper so that that a person, another partner becomes a bit dull. But that doesn't sound as if this is the case here. It sounds as though this is normal behaviour and there's nothing at all to worry about SS. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true about the porn. I mean, the only other time I think masturbation could get in the way of future or partner or something is obviously if you're like doing it loads doing it loads at the in the day like it could affect yeah i mean if you were, later on yeah because you potentially wouldn't be able to have sex when you wanted to because of you wouldn't be able to get an erection all the time if you were doing it constantly i suppose i mean if you have health anxiety i would definitely definitely get it checked out with a doctor there might be something else going on but but the but what you've described are all symptoms of anxiety which is 
So that's the most likely thing. But it's always worth going and talking to a doctor. And if you are concerned and you feel you're lacking in information, you know, get get them to point you in the right direction where you can find out some more. But obviously you're listening to this podcast, which is a great first start. But there are all sorts of, if you're thinking about technique and things like that, there are loads of books and websites and things with that kind of thing on there. But but masturbation isn't going to hurt you. Brilliant. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much again to Nathaniel Cole for chatting to us today and just in general for the great work that he does. Mm. A big thank you to Kate Cabell for her continued commitment to the sex ed cause. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> Cheers, Dix. And thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're following and subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening to it now so we can see you here same day next week for some more real sex education yay bye bye you've been listening to the real sex education which is hosted by diggory wait and kate campbell the show is produced by diggory wait and the executive producer is claire broughton the real sex education is a hat trick podcast This podcast is based on the real-life relationship between Diggory Waite and his mother, accredited sex therapist Kate Campbell. The show is therefore inspired by, but otherwise unrelated to, the TV show Sex Education. But yes, Diggory does wish his mother was played by Gillian Anderson. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.